Welcome to the MyCode podcast. The MyCode podcast is a show about the MyCode framework. Uh, MyCode is a JVM framework which allows you to build any kind of uh, application from CLI application to traditional uh, backend uh, services to microservices or even serverless functions. I am here today uh, with uh, James Klee, which is, who is the uh, Microt uh, product lead. Uh, how are you, James? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine, fine. Uh, ready to take holidays for Christmas. We are recording this uh, a bit uh, ahead of uh, publication schedule. So we'll publish this uh, podcast um, in 2022, and we are recording it in uh, just before Christmas. So uh, Happy New Year to everyone, I guess. Uh, by the time you listen to this, yeah, tomorrow's my uh, my last day, and then I'm off until the uh, the end of the year. So it'll be some good time spent with family and that kind. Of same for me, same for me. Um, so we are going to talk today about uh, security, uh, which is a topic that uh, James and myself have worked a bit a bit in the in Micronaut. Uh, but before talking about security, let's uh, kick off with the agenda. So for Agenda, and uh, speaking of security, we have an upcoming training the 10th of uh, January. I will include a link in the show notes. It's essentially at four days, three hours a day, a security training with uh, George Truly, and we will cover you everything that you need to know uh, to get um, started with Micron security and who doesn't need security in uh, your application. Um, so if you have uh, time, please join me on January the 10th. Uh, that week, we have another training on uh, Friday the 15th, which is a Micronaut uh, testing tips and tricks, which is just one day. If you register for the security training, you get, you get that one for free. Uh, again, I will include a link in the show notes. Uh, for those um, who are coming from Grails or who are still using Grails or who are using Micronaut and Grails, we have an upcoming uh, Micronaut and Grails training in February, I will click, uh, include a link in the show notes as well. And uh, if you are in Europe, uh, Graham Brochet has a talk in JFocus uh, in Sweden in February as well. So I will include a link uh, to, to that one. Um, and uh, with that, uh, let us, let's get talking about, uh, and today I have a level up uh, tip prepared. So level up is these uh, small uh, tips uh, where we essentially tell you like some methods or classes or features that you may not be aware of. Uh, one of them is um, if you are using MyCode, uh, you are probably using the MyCode HTTP client and you know that the MyCode HTTP client has a fluid API. So essentially uh, we have um, static methods uh, for the uh, HTTP verbs. So we have like a static method called get, one post, and one put and delete. And um, if you want to like set up a header, you can do like a HTTP request.post and you specify the URL and the body and then you do like dot header and you can specify a header and uh, you may need to use either um, bare authentication or basic authentication what that typically means is that you have to specify the authorization header so the header name your http header name is authorization and when you are using basic auth that means that the value for that http header is basic and space and then the username 
semicolon and the password, that combo, username, semicolon and password, you do the basic different encoding of that. So essentially it's basic and a space and that basic different encoding. And that will be what, the, what you have to create a, for a basic auth a header. And for bearer, a, typically you have a, as the value of the authorization HTTP header, you have bearer, the word bearer and a space, and then you have a token. Uh, in Micron, uh, to make it convenient, uh, the HTTP request class has two methods. One is called, uh, I think it's basic auth, or basic, I think it's basic auth, uh, which has two parameters, basic uh, auth, yeah. username and password. So you don't have to, we take care internally in that method of doing the basic foreign encoding and the basic prefix and all of that. So you essentially pass the username and password and we do the rest. Uh, and for a bearer, we have like a bearer, I think is the method name. And you essentially pass the token and we will prefix the token with the bearer and a space. So if you are uh, using each one of those, and you probably are, uh, don't uh, write manually those dot .header authorization. Just um, use those two methods, uh, which are at your disposal in the HTTP request. And uh, without uh, further ado, let's uh, jump into the main section. And for the main section today, I wanted to talk about security, which is a big module in Micronaut. And there are many things to talk about, James, so it's difficult to start. Um, one of the things that I want, let's start by this. So how do you, we have many security dependencies. Uh, the um, main one is uh, with the Maven coordinates is io.micro.security and the artifact ID is micro.security. In the moment you add that dependency in your application, all of your controllers will immediately return a 401. So everything is unauthorized, right? So <clears throat> and why that happened is because when you add that module, uh, we add a security filter, right? So you know that in my code, we have this concept of uh, server filters and the server filters can intercept all the requests before they arrive at a controller. So essentially, uh, Filters are ordered. Can you explain a little bit about the ordering of filters? Because there are like different phases and a user should register the filters in their correct order. So Micronaut has a concept of server filters, which are not specific to security, right? Like, um, so the security module just has an implementation of a filter. And it can be quite difficult to sort of know where to place your filter um, depending on what you want to do with it. So for example, if you need access to the currently logged in user, you would need to make sure that your filter executes after the security filter, right? And, um, and, and so there could be other filters that you wanna make sure your filter executes before or after. And so we, uh, we've created a really, um, I think pretty simple to use class called so, uh, server filter phase, which has um, different phases in it like uh, I think there's like tracing and security and uh, there's, I think, seven or eight of them or something like that. And so you can say, I, uh, in when you create your filter, you can override the get order method. And then in that get order method, you can say server filter phase dot security. And then you could say after that, you could say dot before or dot after, right? So those are methods on the, the phase itself. 
So that's um, an easy way of just ensuring that your filter executes before security filter, right? And so you can just say server filter phase dot security dot before, and uh, and then you don't have to worry about like what the specific order actual value is, right? It doesn't matter if it's five hundred or five thousand at that point, right? And if those numbers ever have to change in the future, then then you're always you can always be certain that be executed at the right. Correct. Uh, one thing that James pointed is, and uh, and whenever you have like, um, whenever if you are designing like a library, a micro library, and you need like to have like uh, multiple bins of a type, and you need to order, we have a class, an interface in micro called ordered, which you will see that we use it in many places, and one of these places is uh, the HTTP server filter. And we have also like a utility class called, uh, I think it's called sort utils or something like that. Order utils. All order utils, which will essentially like give you like a comparator for any class implemented in that interface. So if you need to, if you are like writing a micro application and you need to think about the ordering, think about the ordered interface. But that's like a, a really simple interface, which has only one method called getOrder, which has a default implementation. So... That's like really something that is like um, really uh, harmless uh, and easy to use. And we use it a lot through the framework. So that's a pattern that you will see. Yeah. And the, and the places where it's not possible to implement that interface, we have an, an annotation called at order. That's correct. Uh, and then you can, you can apply that. That's mostly, I think, used for things like factory methods where you're returning classes that you perhaps don't have control over. You can just annotate the method, specify the order for that bean. We just laid the ground, so uh, you in install Micron Security and you have the filter there, which will evaluate every request. So essentially, what we want to do is, there are a couple of decisions that the filter does, right? One decision that it does is, it searches the request, and that means the uh, headers, or maybe the query value parameters. So imagine if you have like your application, you want like to have like an API key as a query value parameter. You could write that in Micronode. Uh, so we are essentially like uh, searching. We are trying to uh, infer if we can. We, we have this uh, concept of authentication fetcher. So essentially, given a request, we try to see if there is a, a user authenticated, right? So le let me explain it easy. So if you have like a, a bare token, so if your request contains, you are receiving a request which contains the authorization header. And it contains a JWT, for example, in the in the, as the value of of that uh, uh, HTTP header. Uh, you know that a JWT is like self-contained, so we can essentially like vary the signature of the JWT. We can get the claims of the JWT, and with the claims we can uh, build this uh, object, which we call authentication which essentially authentication extends from a Java X security principal, I think is the package, or maybe the, the, it's not X, I, I don't remember anymore, but it's the principal class in Java, which essentially has one get name. So it's like kind of the username, right? And in authentication is like a kind of a container, uh, which has also attributes. So for attributes, things like, I don't know, you could have like the email address in the claims or anything or the favorite call of the user. Uh, another typical thing that you will have in the claims sometimes is the roles. So you have the ability in configuration to define like uh, 
for JWT claims, for example, this is how you get the role. So the filter will search in the request and try to get an authentication object, zip with multiple authentication fetchers already. But let's go later about authentication fetches. So one thing that the filter does is uh, we essentially attempt to get an authentication. It could be that there is no authentication, right? So it could be like the request comes and there is no token or anything. That's like, a, 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 for us, it's like an option. It could be like you either have, you are either are, you either have an authentication object or you don't. And then we do evaluate what we call security rules. Uh, can you explain what security rules are? Security rules are, uh, it's an extensible API that allows you to determine whether or not a given request is authorized to continue, right? And uh, it's, it's a really uh, flexible API in that you have access to the authentication, right? Whether it's there or not, right? So it could be null if it's passed in. You also have access to the whole request. So if you need to check data beyond just what was passed in the authentication. And then you also have access to the um, route match, right? So um, when a request comes in, it gets matched to a route in your in your application, right? So if the route match, if it matched to a specific route, then you'll have access to that route match as well. And so you have, you'll have access to know like, what was the method? What are its parameters? And the most important thing being there, what are the annotations on the route, right? And so that we, we provide a whole bunch of different implementations of security filter, but the, the, the important thing to know is, um, is how the, uh, how, it, how the applet, how Microsoft security responds to based on to what if you return, right? So security filter, the security uh, rules return, um, one of three things, um, accept, reject, or unknown, right? And we basically go through the list of filters, or, or, of rules, sorry, and they're ordered, right? Just like we talked about, the filters are ordered. So, so the rules are ordered, so you can change where, which, which, uh, where yours appears in the list. And if one of them returns uh, accepted, then that means the request is then authorized and no, for, no further rules are then checked. And if one turns rejected, then um, then the request is rejected and no further rules are checked. And then um, if you get through the whole list and all of them return sort of uh, unknown, then uh, based on a configuration setting, the default is the request is rejected, mm. right? Um, and so the, uh, the the some of the default implementations that we have are or um, for example, the, there's a secured security rule, right? So we have a, an at secured annotation. Uh, so you can apply that to your method. And then we have a security rule that looks at the value, the values in that annotation, and then compares them to the roles in the authentication. And then, uh, so if the roles in the authentication you know, match what's in the, uh, in, the auth in the annotation, then it's accepted, right? And it's uh, authorized. And uh, so there's a lot of really sensible defaults there uh, as far as the security rules that we provide, but you can absolutely add your own security rule. Um, uh, for example, uh, for a company, I implemented a security rule to support um, resource-based authorization uh, using something called, uh, I think it was called Casbin, if I'm not, if I'm remembering right. And where you basically say this person has this 
this permission on this resource, right? And so we cre uh, we create an annotation to put on the routes to say this is these are the this is the resource, and then here are the permissions that you need, right? And then uh, and then I created a security rule that read that data and then compared that to the permissions that the, the user currently had, right? So it's a really extensible API, and uh, it makes it pretty easy to uh, make to write your own sort of logic if you need it. Exactly. So again, the order pattern there. Um, it's important uh, that you see that the security rules are executed in order. And as Jane said, if uh, any of these rules uh, return either accepted or rejected, the security rules below that uh, rule will not be executed, right? Uh, the request will be either uh, let get passed through or, or denied. Um, James mentioned the ad secured. We support also the uh, Jakarta annotations such as uh, ad permit all or uh, ad roles allowed. So you don't have to use the micro annotations. You can use uh, the more standard annotations. Uh, they are, it's actually the same thing as if you are using ours because we are essentially using one feature in micro called annotation mapper where we can map one annotation to another one. Um, and that's nice thing because this allows us to essentially allow users to use um, a lot of these standards annotations where a standard annotation exists, which is not, a, which is not everywhere. Yeah, you just have to make sure to have uh, security annotations on your annotation processor class path. Thanks for pointing that. That's a different dependency. So we said like a, a security. A, that's like the core of the security module. Then the security annotations will essentially contribute all these annotation mappers so that you can use the permit all roles allowed. And we support, I think right now, we support both the Jakarta and the Java X. Uh, uh, so please move to the Jakarta annotations, but we are still supporting the other ones. So uh, at this point, um, so in security rules, James mentioned you, we have, for example, one for at the using an annotation-based uh, security. So you will have to go through all your controllers and decide which annotation do you want to use. Uh, if you don't want to use that, uh, you can uh, use what we say is called the intercept URL map, which essentially is you are defining that security configuration uh, in the application.yaml file. Uh, so if you prefer like not to have security configuration in your controllers, you can absolutely do that and do all the security configuration via uh, all the security requirements via configuration. The add secured works as a method level in a controller or as a class level. So you could have a controller with multiple uh, methods, one with get and another one with post, and you could have like permit all at the class level. Once you arrive to a controller, uh, we will talk more about the uh, token fetches and token validator. I have not forgotten about that, but um, I want to go like the, the, the route. So we went through the filter. Uh, one of the security rules let the request go through, right? And we arrived at a controller. If in the controller you need to um, get access to the currently authenticated user, you can use as a method parameter either authentication and or principal. Both things we bind it. Um, uh, that's a feature that is really useful, and probably many users don't don't know that feature. What's the ISI request type uh, argument binder, or what's the the class that we implement? Is 
Yeah, it's uh, typed so that there's there's basically the the way that that uh, the arguments for controller methods are um, created and uh, essentially attached to the execution is through an API called argument binders. And we have an argument binder for, for authentication and principle. So you can just specify that as an argument to your controller method, and then you have access to it, right? Um, and, uh, you know, if the controller method allows anonymous access, you just need to make sure that the argument is nullable. Correct. Right? Um, and uh, depending on which language you're using, you know that depends how you, you know, how you can define that, right? In Kotlin, you can just put the you can just make it a nullable type. For Java and Groovy, you can just add the at nullable annotation, and then you can then it's like sort of an optional parameter. My point is, if your organization have a, an authentication representation, which is like kind of more defined, imagine you have an authentication which contains always username and email. Um, and you don't want to use our authentication object, you can create like your own pollo and create an argument binder and essentially get like the object with the format that you are used to with your uh, organization fields. And that's quite powerful. So yeah, think about it. Whenever you are like, uh, if you are in a controller and you wish like you had like, you could bind a part of a request to a particular object, think about argument binders. Because uh, that's a really easy to use API as well. Um, yeah, they work based off of annotations as well, right? So if you know, maybe you just want to bind like a string or something like that, um, uh, you can put an annotation on that parameter and then and then target have your binder target that annotation instead of the type of the argument. Uh, bind that argument from whatever data that's available. That's, for example, what happens when you bind like the an at header, right? Yeah, at header, at body, you know, any any of those sort of annotations that we have, they they care about the, that the annotation is present on the argument, not necessarily what the type of the argument is. Exactly. We arrived at the controller, and this is like how to uh, for um, going back to the filter where we talk about. Um, authentication fetchers uh, so you can create an authentication fetchers the API is really simple and uh, you could like always create your custom authentication fetcher and return an authentication given the request but we provide one uh, which uh, so the framework ships with one which essentially will try to search for it will try to search for tokens uh, and we have uh, an API called token reader which will essentially search for um, a token in the bearer token a token, uh, the I think the the basic auth is they will have a basic auth uh, token reader by default, uh, and uh, that authentication fetcher, which is the token resolver, will have like um, we have an API to read the token from the request. So imagine you have you you read the token, which is like a the bear token, which I am always saying that is like a JWT, but you could have like an API key. So imagine if you create an application for each user, you create a, an API key, a random UID, and you ask the users whenever you um, whenever you uh, consume my API, you have to say you have to send the uh, this API key in this particular HTTP header, right? So you could create a token reader which reads the token 
And then you can create a token validator, which is another API. And essentially, the token validator, we get a token if we were able to find one and try to validate it. So if I continue with my example of the API, uh, you could have a token, uh, an API key token validator, which goes to the database and searches if that particular API exists. In the case of uh, JWT, and this is another module, uh, if you install the um, the security JWT module, uh, we uh, have a built-in uh, JWT token validator, which will essentially attempt to validate a JWT with the signature configurations that you provide in your application. So we supply you with an API to configure different ways of uh, JWT signature configurations. And uh, we will essentially go through all of those signature configurations and attempt to validate the signature. And if we validate the signature, then we will essentially like, we, we have like a, a, the JWT token uh, validator will have, uh, it has all the components to create an authentication given the claims. If that is not what you need, you can always overwrite parts of this API. So as you see, the thing is, it's pretty modularized. You have like, token readers, token validators. And if any of the things that come in the framework don't work for you, you can always, you can always like uh, change them, for example. Security, I think, I think by far is our most extensible module, right? Given, given the, how many different requirements people have for security and how many different setups there are and and uh, just all of the different possibilities that are common, right, out there in the wild. Um, it, basically, every, every single decision point or process is extensible in Micronaut Security. So, um, so you, you don't have to, you know, think that you're constrained by what we provide, right? No, absolutely not. You can always write your own code to do anything. Yeah. Either replacing the entire process or, or just modifying parts of the process. Yeah, we explicitly have many, many classes uh, where we have like uh, designed API with protected methods. So uh, you can extend one of our implementation, uh, add the add replaces in your class with a singleton and essentially overwrite a particular method that you need to, to replace to essentially suit your needs. So uh, the API should be really flexible. For I am thinking, for example, we have one class called, uh, I think it's called a JWT Claims Generator, which will essentially contain like a, a bunch of uh, protected methods to essentially populate your claims. And that's really difficult to essentially because everyone has different requirements, right? So we will essentially give you like a lot of freedom to override those methods or, or, or provide like your own implementation. But essentially... And there are many, many, uh, as James said, that's 100% correct. We, um, we, are, we have tried hard uh, not to constrain you. And uh, so you should be able to uh, adjust the security module to suit your needs. It also has a, another really nice benefit of that. It makes testing pretty easy without actually having to really mock. So you can, uh, you know, in, in your uh, source test, uh, you can create an authentication fetcher, for example, that compares, you know, some predefined username, right? So if you pass in the username, you know, John, then you'll be authenticated with admin role. So you can you can test, 
you know, um, test your security with some sort of mock users by creating like a, a an authentication fetcher in your test environment. Yep. So um, yeah, so given so how extensible it is makes it really easy to sort of not have to, uh, you know, um, log in with real accounts and that kind of stuff when you're just testing your APIs. So one of the things they wanted to talk also was about the um, the login endpoint, right? So one thing is to to log in in an application, and another thing is to get a request authenticated, right? So we what we discussed before is uh, requests are authenticated because they essentially contain like either in headers or in query value parameters, we are able to extract some information. For example, for session-based authentication, when you like are using session-based authentication, you have like a header with the J session ID typically is, is called, and you have like essentially that's like the session identifier. So when your 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 request arrives into the micro server, we essentially see okay there is like session ID here. We go to the session, we get the session for that particular ID, and we search for an authentication using that particular session. And if they are, we essentially inflate it. Yeah, that's an example where the there's there's actually a filter that will create look up or create the session based off of the header value, and that filter has to execute before security, right? Because we look uh, we have the option of looking for the authentication in exactly. But how that's the uh, how at which at what point do we save the authentication in the session of the user? And that's what the login endpoint is, right? So when you are like using the login endpoint, we support, uh, we call this setting, and hopefully this is something that we can convey in this podcast. We call this setting micro security authentication mode, I think it is. Let me search for it. I think I'm pretty sure. And we convey several, um, we zip a couple of different uh, authentication modes. Uh, one of them, we call it a bearer. Uh, another one we call um, cookie, uh, and another one we call is the the properties micro.security.authentication. and we have like session, we have bearer, and we have um, another one called a cookie. So essentially, if you and this is something that you have to provide. So uh, we have a controller which Micronaut Security zips by default, which is the login controller. And some of the these built-in controllers in Micronaut Security, they are not enabled, they are not loaded, unless you have bins of a certain type. So the login controller, for example, requires you to have a bin of type authentication provider. And it requires you to have a bin of type login handler. Right? So Authentication provider essentially will receive, so the login endpoint typically will take a username and password. It will take credentials. And those credentials will be passed to the authentication provider, which is an interface which essentially will uh, return like a, 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 I think it's a publisher authentication response, I think is the object, uh, which will essentially contain um, either a failure or a, a, an authentication within. And that's typically the place where you will, for example, uh, given a username and a password, you will go to the database and essentially like 
encrypt the password that was sent to you and compare it with the thing that you have in the database. Or you could have something even simpler with this. Uh, you get a, imagine you only want to support one user because you only have one screen that you want to, you, you could compare this with some configuration uh, values that you have. Uh, so this is essentially something that will depend from application from application. For example, one thing that we have also is, and I think you wrote that part, James, is we have support for LDAP authentication and we have we have an LDAP authentication provider, for example, right? Yeah, you can actually um, specify multiple LDAP servers and um, uh, you can just specify one as well, obviously, and configure, um, you know, set up the configuration for your specific LDAP stuff, just in just in config, and then um, an authentication pr provider will be created for each of those LDAP servers. And so, if you know if one doesn't work, then we'll try the next. Yeah, for LDAP, it will be one of the scenarios where you will typically not write your authentication provider; you will use the one that we ship with. Uh, for other things such as database authentication, because that depends so much from application to application, you will have to write your own. But for LDAP... Yeah, there is no sort of... There's no, like, sensible default on, like, you know, we have no idea are you using Mongo or are you using, uh, you know, MySQL or are you using Neo4j or, you know, it's a, or, 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 you know, some, just Redis or, you know, whatever, right? So there's no... It's not really feasible uh, for us to create an authentication provider because we don't know what database you're using, where your users are stored, and all that kind of... All, you know, all that information. So that's that's where you have to plug in your implementation, um, uh, uh, but then that's that's basically it, right? The rest of it. Once you have the the authentication provider, the other class that you need is the login handler. Uh, I want you to think about a login handler. That's essentially a bin that will say uh, how do you essentially uh, send the authentication information back in the HTTP response. So when we set uh, authentic, when you set Microsoft Security Authentication uh, Bearer, uh, we are essentially enabling one uh, login handler, which will respond as a, a JSON payload in the login endpoint. And the JSON payload will contain, um, if you have like, if you are using the, JS the JWT module, it will contain an access token. If you have the a required configuration for refresh token, it will contain a refresh token as well. Uh, if you are using session-based authentication, for example, and you set up Micronaut Security Authentication Session, that will enable the uh, session login handler. And what it will do is it will take that authentication, it will save it in the session, and in the response, we send back the session cookie uh, with the ID of the session. And then because the, um, the way browsers work, where each subsequent request will contain the cookie, you are immediately authenticated because when you hit the server, as James said, we essentially are like uh, looking for the session with that particular ID and then uh, you will have like a, a session authentication feature which will fetch the authentication from the server. Then we have another one uh, which is called uh, MyCode Security uh, Authentication Cookie which uh, right now uh, it essentially will, we have actually one feature request, which we will implement, but right now what it does is uh, it will assume that you want to redirect and it will save the authentication in a cookie of the response. So we will send, typically we 
are using JWT, we will save a cookie named JWT with the access token. And we have some redirect configuration. So if you search for a redirect configuration in the MyCon security, you will see like when I am authenticated, I am redirected to the homepage. And if I am, if for example, I try to authenticate with a wrong password, you can say you are redirected again to the error page. Or if you are like, so that there are a bunch of uh, different uh, redirection configuration that you can set up. So as you see, uh, there are two things that you have to think about, authentication provider and login handler. For login handler, we ship with uh, several implementations. So one thing that I recommend you to do is uh, search for login handler and, and see in your ID the different implementations that we have and see if they are what you need. And if not, you can always write your own and tailor it to your needs. And uh, we have the, a similar thing for logout. So once you are logging, uh, we are essentially like sending you a token somehow. For session, it's not really a token, but a session ID, but essentially it's like kind of a way to get the authentication from the request. Uh, from logout, we have the same concept. We have a logout handler that uh, we have some, so if you are using like Micron security cookie, uh, the logout handler, for example, when you go to the logout controller, it will remove the, uh, the, the, the JWT cookie. Uh, if you are using session-based authentication and you go to the logout, it will essentially uh, remove the session cookie and essentially terminate your session, right? Uh, if you are using bare authentication, it will do nothing because we are essentially not, you don't have anything. You are like sending every request the, uh, in the in you are sending the token in the uh, in the header, right? As you see, many ways of customizing the behavior of the uh, solution, uh, and we have a couple of other controllers. We have another controller for um, uh, the refresh token. Uh, so check it out. The refresh token is something that we improved a lot in Micronaut Security Two, I think it was. And uh, again, this is another place where. Uh, Everyone does refresh token differently, so you will have to write a couple of bins uh, because there is no sensible default there as well. Yeah, because it requires persistence, right? Like, to, um, in order to to validate a refresh token, uh, it requires it to be persisted somewhere so that you could look it up later and determine whether or not it's been invalidated or, um, or whether it exists at all. Uh, and then that's also the way of determining who the who the user is, so you can regenerate um, authentication data for that user. So uh, so that requires you to sort of fill in the uh, the blank. So the last part that I wanted to talk about was uh, our OAuth two solution, uh, and we support a couple of um, grant types. Um, how do we explain this, James? Um, so we support three flows. We support uh, authorization code grant type flow, which is the typical flow where you are used to, which is you go to a website and you see a button which is, says signing with Google. You click that button and you are redirected to Google. You enter your credentials and you are redirected back to your application. Uh, so we support that. Uh, and we actually support that with really minimal configuration on your site. Typically, all these uh, authorization providers, they will give you like a client ID and a client secret. And they will give you like a, a URL where you can, when Micronaut will get the configuration of the remote authorization server and configure itself. For OpenID. For OpenID Connect. And uh, if, uh, for example, if you are using GitHub, which doesn't support OpenID Connect, uh, or last time it wasn't supporting it, uh, you can write, you can define like the token endpoint and the, uh, 
it was the token endpoint and the authorization endpoint. So you can configure those details uh, manually if you don't have like uh, OpenID configuration exposed by the authorization server. Uh, we have some really nice guides explaining these steps. So we have guides for signing with Google, signing with Okta, signing with Auth0, uh, signing with uh, GitHub, which is the what James was describing, which is um, an authorization server. You have to to like uh, define more the the endpoints manually. Uh, we have also one for Cognito. We have example for uh, a couple. Um, we support another one, which is uh, is a weird uh, flow, which is the password flow, which essentially will uh, means that the user is sending you their credentials. So it's not ideal. There are some scenarios where there is no, this is the only uh, available option, but this is not the ideal scenario because essentially the, the MyCode application is seeing the user credentials because they are going through the MyCode application, right? So if you can... Essentially, the way it works is uh, the user sends the credentials. We see the credentials and we send them to the authorization server and we authenticate and respond the user. So that's not ideal, but that's a flow that we support. I have seen some use cases, for example, in some uh, some podcast applications, for example, they will all they will allow you to have like private feeds. And the, the only way they can do that is by supplying username and password uh, via basic auth in the request. So if you want to use an authorization server, that will be the old, your only option for that. And typically what people will do is they will create like separate credentials for this thing. So it will be like the user will have kind of two set of credentials, like these more or less unsecured credentials that they can pass around and their real, real credentials. And the last and interesting flow that we support is the client credentials. Can you explain a little bit what the client credentials flow is? And <clears throat> So uh, Sergio did a lot of work on the client credentials stuff, but basically it's um, you're logging in to the provider with your client ID and secret to, um, to authenticate some request to their API, usually. And... Um, What's nice about so what's difficult about doing that is that you get back some token, right? Or you get back some um, some piece of uh, data that you need to pass in for for future requests, right? So usually it's like some some time of, uh, of token, and that token has an expiration. And so managing okay, well, where do I put the token? How do I know if it's expired? I have to, I mean, when when it expires, I have to go reauthenticate again. Uh, you know, that's it's uh, it's difficult to manage. And so, what we've created is we've created a client filter, right? So, Micronaut has the um, has the uh, notion of server filters, but we also have the notion of client filters. So, based on some configuration that you supply, um, we when you make a request to that URL for the uh, that that we know should be authenticated with client credentials, we will, instead of making that request immediately, we'll first make a request to uh, get a token, right? And, you know, obviously part of that is checking to see if we already have a token and if it's expired and, and that kind of stuff. But assuming we don't have a token, we'll first go off and, and request a token, get it back, put it into your request, and then send your request off, right? So you don't have to be concerned about about getting the token or when it expires or, or or anything like that, you just make the requests and it happens automatically. And there's there's obviously a lot of 
um, configurable points in that and uh, points of extension that you can customize the behavior and that kind of stuff. But um, but overall, it should work pretty transparently. Yeah, client credentials is a flow for machine-to-machine -machine communication. So the idea is uh, you will typically use authorization code grant type flow when the user needs to authenticate. But if you have imagined two micro applications and a third application, which is authorization server, and you want to send requests from one micro application to the other application, and you want that communication to be secured, right? Both applications, they know how to validate tokens from the authorization server, right? So what you will typically do is that both applications, they have like client IDs and client secrets. They have, uh, and they are able like essentially get a token from the authorization server and, and send the requests between them using that token. And for you as a user, you, it will be transparent. You will do it like during HTTP requests with a normal micro HTTP client. And we will essentially, as Jane was saying, we will decorate the request with an authorization header with the access token that we obtain via the client credentials request to the authorization server. That's really powerful because it's really like um, kind of uh, ha you have both both ways. So you, you have like a secure communication, but your code is really not dealing with security. So you don't have like to to get like uh, the token and, and, and do all of that. That's transparent for you. And as James said, there is like many uh, configuration points. Uh, we have a couple of guides for client credentials. One is uh, with uh, Out0 and another one is with Cognito. Uh, so if you are using client credentials uh, or you want to use client credentials, please give it a try and uh, let us know if uh, you find any uh, anything to improve. And I think that's pretty much the overview that I wanted to cover about security. Um, uh, am I missing anything, James? No, the only thing I'd like to add is that, um, you know, we support regular OAuth, OAuth 2, and OpenID. But the, the, the underlying API could actually, could technically support any three-legged flow, right? And by three-legged, I mean we redirect to some provider, and then that provider redirects back with some information, right? So I actually wrote, uh, so I think Twitter, I mean, this is at the time, this was maybe a, a year and a half ago, but I think Twitter at that time only supported OAuth 1.0. And um, I was able to write a, a, an OAuth client to log in with Twitter with Micronaut, right? Um, so even though it's not it's not part of the, the standard that we typically support, the, the API is flexible enough that you could that you could technically support any three-legged. The last feature that I want to point people about is uh, we support uh, also a token propagation. Uh, the idea here is that you have a, a service, uh, you receive a token, uh, and you can automatically, imagine you have like an application with three microservices. One is the gateway, which is calling uh, another service, and you receive a request in the gateway with a token and when you do a subsequent request with an HTTP client from Gateway to a, I don't know, your persistent service, you can use one feature that we have called token propagation to essentially take the token that you in, uh, got in the initial request and propagate it in the subsequent request. So again, this is kind of uh, having secure communication between microservices, but getting out of your way while you are um, writing your application. I think we are going to wrap it for today, James. Uh, we have uh, a lot of micro guides. Uh, in guides.micron.io which covers security 
uh, and that will be my um, my mention in the guides and section content. So we have uh, many guides for security. Uh, check them out. Uh, give us feedback. Uh, as James said, the micro security module is one of the biggest modules, uh, probably with microdata, is uh, the biggest module with microdata. So there is a lot there. Um, yeah. If you have any questions, come uh, hang out with us on Gitter, our, our Gitter channel, and uh, be happy to answer any security-related questions. This episode was brought to you thanks to the MyCode Foundation. Many thanks to our corporate sponsors, our ambassador sponsor, Object Computing, and our two bronze sponsors, Safri.net and Visor Games. Also, many, many thanks to our community sponsors, uh, those individuals who support the framework via donations. Individuals such as uh, Corbinian Balch, Gis uh, Loisnik, uh, Lucas Morachev, Jim Weiss, Jeff Scott Brown, Danilo Marquez, Edgar Ruiz Navarro, Goran Erickson, Andrew McKee, Balasub Ramanian, uh, Rengasami, Philip Eisenbach, uh, Hassam uh, Muhoudini, and Jason Silder. Many thanks to all of you. And if you are interested in supporting the framework, visit uh, mycode.io/foundation. Again, many thanks to all of you uh, for listening to the podcast. Many thanks for our sponsors uh, for making this uh, so possible. And we listen to each other in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Thank you.